Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. You're listening to Lost and Rewound on Radio Free Brooklyn. Time to get embarrassed with us. say that auspicious not suspicious auspicious auspicious get a dictionary we have many good things coming up for this edition we want to remind you before we begin with today's program would it not be for you the listener we would not be able to give you such programming yes that's true we are community driven this is a non-for-profit station Yes. We are here coming to you without advertisements for Snickers and other assorted candies. Yes, this is true. Halloween did just pass. Did just pass by. It did just pass by. And if you want to contribute to this lovely type of programming, uh, creativity without such classic financial constraints as we're typically forced into, you can donate directly to our show at radiofreebrooklyn.org slash L-A-R. And to the community as a whole, we accept all donations to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash pledge. That's our Patreon page. Hey, let's begin now, shall we? Hey, look at you. This is as if you found life in that robotic body of yours. Yes, this is true. Indeed. You're a real boy now. And now... I can live and we can start the show. (laughs) On with the show. (laughs)
on today's program. Joining us in the studio is Katie Garinger. She just finished producing her newest album, That's Where You'd Go With Me, all the way from Muncie, Indiana. Wonderful songstress. Welcome again, Katie Garinger. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for being here, Katie. <laughs> You're welcome. I did get a chance to listen to some of your music last night. It is beautiful. Thank you. How did you meet Jimmy in the open mic night circuit? I think so. I think over at the, uh, oh shoot, it's in Brooklyn, Robbins. We met we met at Robin's Mike. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Branded Saloon. Branded yes, saloon. the uh, that's the sandwich. Sandwich Wednesday. Sandwich Wednesday with uh, with Rob and Irene Moss. Uh, I'm sorry that my I just a former Moss. guest. Of, yes, this is my brother came out. We miss Miss Moss. She was a guest on our show uh, some time ago. Uh, I do know that the Sandwich uh, Wednesdays uh, it's a different theme every time that they do. What was the theme that you had to go with? Oh jeez, there was what you remember it all the no. night that we no. met. <laughs> No, do you remember what you were what you were singing about for the theme that they? I'm not an A plus open mic participant. I just kind of show up like whenever I want. I don't usually uh, follow the prompts. I think the prompts are a wonderful, beautiful idea, but I'd never usually do. Got the it. Prompts. I didn't yeah. realize. I thought that there was like a oh, very strict. You must follow this prompt. Or, no, you get an really, extra. Really, really appreciate it if you did. You get an extra song. Yeah. If you write a song that week about the prompt got it you've been involved in the music scene here in new york specifically for how long uh about a year and a half at this point well i guess technically two years because i started getting gigs here before i moved here from indiana really my first visit was probably i guess like two years and two months ago and I started networking like pretty much instantly once I got here because I knew I wanted to move here. Since I do the oboe thing and I do the singer-songwriter thing, I started yes. going to open mics. And um, I actually got my first oboe gig kind of in a fluke situation. Me and uh, Val Daniel and my husband were busking in the subway. And someone came up to me and was like, hey, I'm looking for a second oboist for my recording session. Do you want to play? And I was like, yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. So I started gigging and kind of got involved in the music scene a little bit before I actually moved here. The oboeing that is being heard in between the talk sets for this episode was from your grad school performance. Yeah, it was from, I think, my second master's recital. And where did you go to school to study your master's? I went to uh, the College Conservatory of Music at the University of Cincinnati. That's a fantastic school from what I've heard. Yeah, it is. It's pretty great. <laughs> how, do you, how do you know all these things a lot? Well, CCM does uh, <laughs> acting, too. They, they, they It's a conservatory for all arts, I'm under the impression, yes? Yeah, yeah. They have a wonderful program for opera and musical theater yeah. and, of course, all the orchestral instruments. I want to say that one of my first neighbors living in New York City went to CCM, Havala Brewster, uh, who went for musical theater. Um, so that's when I first heard of it, and I thought that was really neat because I don't normally meet people who went to school in Cincinnati. You were playing oboe when you were growing up? Yeah, I started when I was uh, 11, I think like in sixth grade, but I'd taken piano lessons before that. And then I didn't start the singer-songwriter thing until actually like right after my master's degree, which was like four years ago. What made you want to pick up a guitar? I mean, I'd always been a fan of folk music and I really kind of the catalyst for me was watching once when I was 18 years old. I always loved singing, but I had never really, I mean, I played piano, but I never really played guitar, but it was always kind of on my mind, but I let myself focus on oboe for a while, and then once I was done going to school, I just decided I was going to start playing guitar. Busking with guitar versus busking with oboe, different impressions, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think when I busk with the oboe, people are definitely 
more keen on paying attention. But if I busk with a guitar, it's like I'm just another person with a guitar. <laughs> like They see a lot yeah. of those. I yeah, can honestly seriously. say, I know, I've never seen another person busking with the oboe. I'm sure it's happened, but uh, it's definitely more rare. I want to see somebody busking with like a giant acoustic bass. <laughs> just like yeah making very little noise <laughs> well you go to like a, a city like new orleans and you're bound to see a washboard band on any one block for sure i know that my sister uh was dating a guy who was playing fiddle in uh one of those bands so wow. you see all sorts of different instruments uh down there especially like washboards if you show up with two spoons are you in or is it three spoons sure. how many spoons do you need to be in I don't know. I don't. <laughs> yes, I'm the right person to ask that. I just, I just ate a lot of soup, and now I want to play music with y'all. I just <laughs> arrived with spoons. Do you come from a pretty musical family, Katie? Yeah, it's pretty musical. I am really the only one who was like classically trained, but my parents are both musical, and I grew up with a lot of music in the house and went to church. You know, both of my parents were in the choir growing up so i was just kind of surrounded and inundated by it from a young age what did you say that one of your siblings glommed on to uh sort of tacked on to what you were doing musically or vice versa you tacked on to what they were doing if it's a sibling then the word glom might be (laughs) (laughs) might be appropriate right (laughs) (laughs) they glommed on to my my success can't get them off no, not at all. I have two younger brothers, and they're both very naturally musical, musically talented. And they were both in band and took piano lessons, but no one really latched onto it like I yeah. did. It's funny. Like I once met a, a family band, a literal family band, right. the, and the, you know, for the church sort of situation. Yeah. Like the kids played instruments, and the parents played instruments, and they could go around. Uh, it sounds like your parents could have certainly bred a, a family band if they wanted to. <laughs> Yeah, I'm really glad they didn't, though. (laughs) Do you feel different when you play in Brooklyn versus playing in Manhattan? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, Different impressions since you're getting oboe and guitar, I imagine. Different impressions with different boroughs. Brooklyn seems a little more singer-songwriter friendly. And um, I... I, I don't know. I haven't really ever thought about this before, but just kind of off the top of my head, I played my first singer-songwriter gig in... Well, no, that's not true. I've played in Harlem before, but um, I played in, like, Midtown recently, and I really felt, like, kind of this pressure. Maybe it was just coming from me, but I felt this pressure to kind of, like, perform and, like, bring people in, whereas, like, if I'm playing at the way station over in, like, Prospect oh, yeah. Heights, I just feel like I'm just there to play music, so... There's such an inviting audience that right. goes there, so you're never going to feel too much pressure yeah. and the sound system is great there too yeah um, it's awesome and the drinks are good too question is more about whether or not you had different impressions of the city brooklyn manhattan notwithstanding before you got here you know you clearly wanted to move here but why a lot of it a lot of my reason for wanting to move here wasn't really based in reality it was more i had this glammed up romantic view of what new york city was going to be like as a musician and Growing up in the Midwest, it, it just, you know, I came and I visited. And my first visit here was pretty traumatic, not even when I got here, but on the way there, I crashed my car. Oh, goodness. And I totaled my car. And then I spent the night in Pittsburgh. And then I got on a Megabus the next day. And then the Megabus broke down. I'm not even joking. Like, it was like so crazy. And I was like, there's this resistance. Like, I got to get there. It must mean it's like really amazing on the other side. I got to push through. And so then once I got here, it was, you know, like bright lights and 
so many people and so many talented people, and I thought it was amazing. So, what time of year were you here when you got here? I was here in the summer. Yeah, yeah, in August. You know what's funny <laughs> is that you asked her, and I just want, I wanted to hear her story, but just you asking her like why she would come here, and you ask people that a lot, and I was thinking about that recently. It's like almost a redundant question. But everyone's it's got a New York. Story. It's New York City, baby. Yeah. That's why they're here. You want to know why? It's then it's NYC. That's why you need to know. <laughs> but you got to be sensitive to these matters. No, but, but those stories are all great. It's everyone's story is individual. And, and you know. especially when you're coming from somewhere like the Midwest, where you are coming from a totally different lifestyle. I, I grew up upstate New York. Uh, my folks, though, were from the city. So I had more experience coming to the city just um, you know, as a kid, visiting and seeing my family and friends who were living in the general area around Long Island and such. But, you know, when you're coming from somewhere like that, you're crashing, <laughs> the bus is breaking down. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's like the planes, trains, and automobiles experience of coming all the way from a faraway, distant land. It's a totally different world. Your parents certainly must be very happy that they have a daughter that they can visit in New York. Are your siblings as well also scattered around? Um, Yeah, they are. One of my brothers lives in Colorado, and then the other one is still in Indiana going to school. But my parents actually visited for the first time like two weekends ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was was pretty awesome. It was very fun to see Jim and Lois in the the big city. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it seems like you have a pretty close family. You know, my parents are wonderful people and they raise us to like i guess just want to do our own thing and so that's what all three of us are doing they've always encouraged us to go where we wanted to go and do the things we wanted to do i was a music major in college and my brother peter was a philosophy major so Mm. you know they like pushed us to pursue what we wanted to there was no pressure to be an accountant or a nurse or whatever or (laughs) do something where you're gonna get a job right yeah or have like any promise of employment at all If I'll think about what a, what a job is. Right. <laughs> what music was being played in the house? A lot of like gospel music, a lot of Christian music, uh, a lot of oldies, some Motown stuff. Really, I mean, not a whole lot of, like as I was growing up, not really a whole lot of things that were current at the time. I kind of went through a weird little goth phase where I thought like Good Charlotte was super awesome and I thought that was the music that I liked. But I definitely went through a lot of experimental phases in the music I listened to because I was just curious because I hadn't really been exposed to lots of different genres before like middle school. I think that's the reason. It plagues society. But I think the reason people like bad music is that that's the first music that they've heard that's different than other music. They've yeah, heard. yeah, no, totally. And they're like, oh, this is so good. And all uh. it is is just different than the stuff that they've heard. And then, like, all these bad bands get by because they're like, look at me. I look like a band. Eh, like I'm wearing eyeshadow or something. You know? And then you're just like, ah. And then these bad bands just, like, just feed off of that, like, newness. And they're like, ooh, someone's got, we got to hear that. It's the new thing. But that's why they die out so quick because people are like, oh, wait, this is actually really terrible. As we become older, I guess we have a little more reason to look back and say, eh, I could have been a little more mindful of what I was purchasing. It's one thing to listen to it and appreciate it on the radio, but no, I'm going to buy this album and maybe it's going to be good. I think the rule is something like if you hear three songs that you like, then chances are the album is going to be good. I don't know if that's the same way because <laughs> albums are made differently. How was it making your album? Oh, boy. Well... It was much more difficult than I anticipated. I kind of had the idea that I would go into studio and knock it out in a few weeks. And that's just not what happened. It ended up taking me like five months or so to finish it. 
But something that did kind of ease the process was I ran a Kickstarter campaign from February to March, and I raised $10,000. Wow. Yeah. So that was like a trip in and of itself. <laughs> so I raised the money, and then I was like, oh, my gosh, I have to make the thing now. So then, you know, followed the next several months of figuring out how to make an album. What drove you to say, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. I'm just going to dive down the ravine and see what happens. I definitely had a feeling of trepidation going into it. I had never really asked people for a significant chunk of money before. And it was really humbling and embarrassing at times to ask people for money. But I was also really shocked just like in the first few days how many people were giving. And I realized like I just need to ask because you will never know if you don't ask. So you, I just realized I just have to like put down whatever, like my pride, my embarrassment, whatever. And I just asked everyone that I knew. I think I sent out like a thousand messages um, and about 220 people responded to those messages with money. So good. that's good. Those are pretty good odds. Yeah. Yeah. And these are folks that you've met throughout the years, people from home, people from uh, the, the scene here in New York that you've gotten to be a little more acquainted with i suppose yeah i mean i would say the probably the biggest chunk of people that supported me were from the midwest most from like just people that knew me growing up a lot of people from my parents church gave mm. me some cash so there, it is a giving community yeah <laughs> that's very charitable wonderful the title track of the album is called that's where you'd go with me and i wrote that song about a year ago and I had been in New York at that time for about four or five months and was going through a lot of changes and struggles, like, personally. And the song just kind of started happening. And basically the song is just about, like, being in a relationship where, like, you're willing to fight for that person. That person's going to fight for you. Like, you're going to go through hell and high water together. So, like, I list in the song, like, through fire and under seas, through tempest storms so raging, through, geez, I don't even know. The lyrics are on Bandcamp if you want to look them up. But I basically <laughs> list like all of these, like through darkness, space, and time is another one. It's just about a relationship where you can go anywhere with this person, and a lot of times it's going to be a bad situation. <laughs> How long were you with your husband before you guys got married? Well, I visited here the first time in August of 2015, and then we met. Um, a little over two years ago in October of 2015. Would you say that once you moved here, that really helped you work towards making this album a reality? Like it inspired you to actually put all these things onto recording? That's an interesting question. Um, I guess being in a relationship and, you know, finding love and, you know, especially with somebody who also plays music from what you have mentioned would definitely help, you know, inspire you to make more with your art and put it out there for people to hear? Yeah, I mean, I think there are definitely some of the songs on the album that are inspired by uh, our relationship. And for me, it was more just from a personal aspect, like I arrived at a point where I had a, a chunk of songs that I felt I was really proud of. And they kind of cover like a three year period of time one of the oldest songs that I've written is on there called The Bird Song. And then one of the newest ones I wrote, I think, in February, like right as I was starting the Kickstarter. So my idea of picking the songs for the album was to show like where I've been and like where I am now. 
Yeah. And just to kind of give a good introduction to like, hey, this is who I am. So, yeah, I mean, my relationship definitely had like a part in that, but it was yeah. more like showing where I came from and where I am now. It's hard to say because like a lot of times you're listening to music, especially of a more stripped down acoustic variety. And when the artist is happy versus when they're sad, um, it, it's not to say that one sounds better than the other. But it's just about the emotion and having a, a variety of different experiences, being able to pour out into the music and being it, it feels just like there's less of a monotoneness. It's varied and there's so much experience that's being bled out there. I think Sorry. if you listen to almost any album, if it's not if there's not a part about it that's about being in a relationship or someone that you're like pining for, it's about being lonely. So there's yeah. it's a it's gonna that's gonna be part of it at one point. <laughs> you brought your guitar with you. Are you gonna sing about being lonely or being happy? <laughs> <laughs> um how about neither? How oh about boy. feeling small? Feeling small? Yeah. Do you feel small often? <laughs> no, no. No, I don't. I mean actually, yes. We're glad yes, we're feeling a lot smaller. No, these New York days. New York City is a very easy place to feel small. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess I do, but like not in a bad way. I guess a way to put it would be like right sized. Like I feel like more aware of like the fact that my problems are no greater than like the person's next to me, you know, their problems and like anything I deal with, even though it may be like really painful for me at the time, it may feel terrible. Like it's not anything anyone else has never gone through, you know, like I don't feel alone in my struggle, I guess. So in that way, I, I guess I, I don't feel small in a bad way. I feel small like in the right way. Like I feel like we're all small. There's no if that makes sense. <laughs> there's no reason to say that you should feel uh, bad or wrong for being minuscule. Yeah, yeah. Because then no one necessarily needs to see you. You're very happy. You're content being where you are on the same level. And if people see you, then boy howdy, people are <laughs> people are actually able to see you. Um, I, feel, I feel Biggie Smalls. <laughs> well, you always feel Biggie Smalls. <laughs> and, and what's the name of the song? Uh, this song is called Honey Bee. Ah. Yes, I know this song from the album. It's on the album. It is on the album. It's track three. Track three on That's Where uh, I, you, you Go With Me. That's it. You got it. <laughs> Lost Three Wound. Here we go. Katie oh. Geringer. Close to me, I hear you 
Gorgeous, Garland. Gorgeous. Oh, thank you. The guitar stylings you got there. Uh, I love like the way just like in and out. Like I, I should probably note to uh, our listener uh, as we were preparing uh, to uh, get you on, um, you know, all situated mic wise. There was uh, you know one mic that was off, and when we turned the mic on, eventually it actually it didn't change much in the way that the plucking was oscillating loud and quiet. It's such a really neat style that you were playing Thank the guitar. You. Thank you. Not, you don't even need a pick. You just you're using your fingers. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say it's so much that I don't need a pick. I do not know how to play the guitar with a pick. Really? Yeah, it's something. It's on my list of to dos, but I have. I feel like every time I try to play with a pick, it's so loud and it just freaks me out. And so I just, I, it's just something I haven't learned how to do yet. Well, you have so. to learn how to play metal at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the only way. Yeah. You've tried, though. I have tried, yes. But it's overwhelming not to like you. a little. Yeah. It's just like really, really loud in my ears. But like I need to learn how to do it. Oh, it's a Takamini is a very lovely guitar to be. Uh, so, you know, maybe it's just kid gloves, I think is the term. You don't want to be using uh, such a hard, brash device on such a delicate instrument. Yeah, well, I mean, I think part of it, why it sounds loud is because it is, because the body of this guitar is actually pretty big and it's very resonant, which is why it works really well with finger picking. So I think that's why it sounds loud when I play pick, because it is. So if I had like a smaller guitar, I think it'd be a lot easier for me to learn how to play with it. It's very lush. How long ago did you get that guitar? Thank you. I got this... Oh, geez. I think it was like almost three years ago now or four years, maybe. I just remember that this, <laughs> I don't know if this will stay on air or not, but I was supposed to play for this like community chamber orchestra in Cincinnati. And I ended up ditching the concert in order to go get this guitar. <laughs> I don't know that that should stay. <laughs> it all comes out. Yeah, People, they, I'm they, telling you. they're gonna they're gonna hear this and they're gonna be very upset. Yeah, <laughs> and if it'll end up a lawn. So fine. that's what happened to her. If you don't what? know, she got a guitar. If you don't, never heard from her again. It's interesting you have a Takamine because I know that Takaminis are not uh, the cheapest of, of ones. So you. Put your money in the right place by getting a guitar that is full-bodied and is worth the money. Um, I won a guitar 
off the radio when I was a kid, and it happened to be a Takamini. I oh, barely, fun. I barely play it, but every time uh, someone's over the apartment, I will just have them take a spin on it and maybe tune it since it hasn't been touched since the last time <laughs> somebody came over. So really, really wonderful stuff. Thank you. I'm glad that you have a capo too, because I think the capo is the one thing that stopped me from playing all my favorite songs on the guitar. Oh, wow. with that Takamini. It's like when you get this Takamini, maybe I should start taking guitar lessons. You didn't have to worry about taking guitar lessons. You knew already. You taught yourself, basically. What was the first song you taught yourself on guitar? See, this is why I don't feel like a real guitarist. Because, like, I don't really know how to play any other music aside from, like, what I play. That's fair. Um, I could still play Smoke on the Water. That's awesome. Really? That's all you need to know. That's fair. (laughs) That's all anyone really needs to know. Someone's like, play guitar. If every person that ever touched it again played Smoke on the Water, would the world be a bad place? (laughs) (laughs) But I did actually take, I think I took like two guitar lessons, and I was really honest with the guy. I was like, I don't really want to learn how to play scales or like a particular song. I just want you to teach me a few finger-picking patterns, because I feel like especially with songwriting my brain has worked faster than my actual fingers and like ability has been able to work and so I just had the sound in my mind of what I wanted to be able to do and I knew I couldn't do it yet but I knew if someone taught me how to do some finger picking patterns I would get closer to what I wanted and and it did it got me closer and now my next goal going forward is to be able to incorporate more left hand melody stuff because ideally for the next record I'd really like to be able to feel 110% comfortable playing the whole record alone like on the guitar whereas like right now I feel like you know like both of the guys that are in my band Steve Bowen and Michael Malley are not here today so now I've gotten used to them like playing their parts and I miss it when it's gone so I want to be able to play songs that I can accompany myself basically, on the guitar. So that's next level. That's what I'm working towards right now. Be a, be a jack of all trades or, exactly. a, or a Katie of all trades. Yes, yes. <laughs> Jackie of all trades. Sure. <laughs> Jacket of all trades. <laughs> Jacqueline of all trades. The, the queen of all trades here on Lost and Rewound this week is Katie Geringer. And when we come back, we have sounds from her youth, yes. as promised. <laughs> Lost and Rewound. Radio Free Brooklyn. Thank you. 
we're back. Hey. hey. We're listening to the lovely sounds of the oboe from Katie Geringer at CCM in Cincinnati. And that was, what, like five years ago, right? Ah, uh, yeah. Something like that? 2012. Yeah. Oh, no, she owned that oboe. Mm-hmm. So tell us about that that recital a little bit, since we've been hearing it all throughout the program thus far. Very lovely, very festive. Almost sounds like we're sort of jumping the gun a little bit on Christmas. And I noticed in the video, <laughs> there's actually a wreath. Uh, so this was clearly around the holidays. It was. It was in December, I think, like right before christmas break and i did that on purpose so that i could have a great christmas break and not have to worry about doing my recitals the next semester yeah and plus oboe just seems like a a festive instrument to play it can be when the reeds are working yeah yeah you know it's interesting and i was just thinking about because from a when I when I hear when I think about the idea of like going to school for music and the fact that you have to remember all these different complex parts of the songs that you have to play and obviously you know you didn't write this music so it's like you know it's it's really just committing this stuff to memory and the skill of being able to play it and I was thinking I was like that's so different than like classic school that people think about with paper writing and projects and things like that. And it's interesting because I was thinking, like, what and did I have anything in my own lifetime that I could liken to it? And I was like, it's just like martial arts when you're learning forms. And there's this thing you ever seen in a movie where someone is like trying to show how much of a baller they are, and they're just like, whoa, what's that? And they're just doing all this stuff. Those forms and things like that are really, really long, memorized things that take a lot of training because if your positioning is wrong, it's the form is completely wrong. Mm-hmm. And then you have exams. The same way, like recitals, you know, yeah. and if you get it and everyone watches you, and if you get it wrong, you don't, you know, you have well, to go back and do it all We also have an accompanist, too, so there's uh, a group effort occurring. The oh, pian- totally. the, the pianist accompanist also has to get it right, too. Yeah, I mean, the... They better. I had a really wonderful pianist for this particular recital, and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty rough if you don't have a great pianist playing with you on your recitals, it, it's definitely a make-or-break situation. Everyone's got to feel comfortable. So thankfully, I felt very comfortable during the recital. The clips that you brought with you today, other than that one, are from much earlier in your life. One of them is not, again, to make everybody upset that we're bringing it a little earlier. Uh, it's a little holiday-ish, you could say. It's a little holiday number. Yeah. Uh, this it, is... Isn't this our Christmas episode? Yes. No. Ho, ho, ho. It's, it, dude, we Bring ju- it in the holidays. We just finished up with Halloween. In Britain, though, they don't even pay attention to Halloween, and they don't even have Thanksgiving. So in, starting in October, they pretty much start getting ready for Christmas. I know this because I was in England last year in October, and Christmas decorations were all over the place. Is that why they call it Merry Old England? <laughs> never, wink, <laughs> never wink at me again. <laughs> I'm sorry. Creepy. It was like that joke was too awful and too good uh, that I had to. It had to be creepy uncle style. Just get that out of your system before you go to the open mic. You know, is this you and your brother Peter? Yes. Yeah, Peter is my youngest brother. There's two clips you brought with you. This is one is the short one, and the one we have later to play is a little bit longer. But this one. I got. I, I just heard just because I wanted to understand what I was getting myself into, and I have so many questions. Well, Oh, I take 
have no idea what I just said. No idea. It sounded like you said I had Satan by my side. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but with your religious background, I'm really doubting what you said. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's not what I said. That's your mother recording that. No, actually, that was our uh, babysitter, Linda. So Linda was fortunate enough to hear you and your brother doing a little uh, holiday cheer, mm-hmm. singing a little holiday cheer. Mm-hmm. And she had a tape recorder with her. Did she normally bring a tape recorder with her? Actually, yeah. She, I mean, she just recorded. <laughs> Dude, Alon, Alon, you, you, that, that, that's like your, your, your long lost sister. <laughs> no, man, that's fucking hilarious. You're like, hey, you're kiddos, like, click. <laughs> Talk. We're going to have so much fun today. No, it's amazing because, like, my dad's a photographer, so he was taking pictures of us all the time, but my, I mean, they never used, like, a camcorder or anything. So she got a lot of really hysterical video from our childhood. Okay. And yeah, I mean, this was like your babysitter. Yes, not our your mom, babysitter, not your dad. But she was a friend of the family, like sure. before I came along. But um, yeah. she was the Alice of the Brady Bunch. Yes, exactly. <laughs> she was our Alice. Yeah, minus she, the housekeeper part. But, she was yeah. your Urkel. Yes. <laughs> yes. She, she was the kitty of the full house. She was our Linda. <laughs> How many more characters can we think of? In a she was the, she was the comic relief. No, that's really amazing. Not like every day you hear about people saying that. No, I didn't really get recorded except for that one time that my babysitter, you know, would every now and again when we, we would have someone coming over to stay over, she would just record, press the record button, and see what crazy things would be said. Kids, God's say, work the, kids say the darndest things, you know that that's that idea. Yeah, right? I mean, I also think we were just little weirdos, so she probably wanted to get some of this on like videotape, you know. Yeah. For sure. There is something really magical about hearing kids singing without stopping. And there, I mean, we've, we've talked about this over and over again. Uh, you know, me in my adult life, I feel like I'm a bumbling idiot a lot of the times. And I was back then, you know, just a younger bumbling idiot. But there's a way that a lot of the kids that I grew up with talk that just reminds me of how we feel so much more non-filtered and just without stopping. We just say, we just keep going. We're we, without interrupting. We don't, um, we don't. Uh, we don't stammer. We just go, go go right right through. We just bow right through like a video game villain or something. What were those words? You said that we were saying before that the words seemed like you made them up, but it sounded like almost that those would, could actually have been a part of the song. Yeah, I really, I have no idea what version of Jingle Bells I was referring to. On my side? or th- what were the, what were the- I think I said Santi, like Santa. Santa by, by my side. side. That's <laughs> why when I thought it said Santee. Satan by my side, that's no, why. Santi by my side. <laughs> Me and Santi just killing it. Santi's a good guy. Me and Santi kicking it up in that sleigh. <laughs> <laughs> good old Santi. I'm glad you guys were so familiar. <laughs> Well, we also wanted to play this clip, and uh, there's a lot to probably sift through uh, in terms of thoughts and questions. So let's get started with this particular clip. Explain to us what we're about to hear. It's a play. It's hard to explain. No, not really. Um, When I was younger, I would go over to my friend Carrie's house a lot of the time, and she has an older sister, named Bethany, and Bethany and me were usually the instigators behind making me, her, Carrie, and my brother Peter all put on plays. And I don't know how many of these little plays we put on, but like we would write them. And I know there's like a, a rendition of Sleeping Beauty kicking around somewhere, but in this particular play, I think it's called Megan and Sabrina, Best Friends Forever. 
So your your let me get this straight. Your babysitter would record the crazy things you did. Your well, friend was... your friend's sister would make you put on plays. Yeah. You were, you were basically made to dance monkey dance wherever you went. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but I think I liked it though because I kept doing it. So still in the spotlight now, right? Right. Yes. <laughs> Says lady on radio. Exactly. <laughs> Megan and sorry, Megan and Sabrina. Sabrina. I played Sabrina. You played Sabrina, and Carrie played Megan. Yes, and she wrote this play for you guys. I think me and Bethany were the ones who wrote the play. It's pretty cringeworthy, to be honest. Oh, uh, is it? Yeah. Tell, me, tell us. Well, Sabrina no is August a Wilson over here. Sabrina is a rich girl who befriends a poor girl, Megan. Okay, this is not real. This is not like reality. <laughs> and uh, the mom played by Bethany, tells her she's only allowed to be friends with other rich girls. <laughs> There's a lot that's wrong in this thing. <laughs> or a lot that's incredibly but then right. Country the mouse, end, city mouse, prince and the pauper. Yeah, at, at the end, though, um, Bethany's character, the mom, sees the light and uh, through a series of unfortunate events ends up deciding to adopt Megan into the family and then Megan and Sabrina can live happily ever after as sisters. Because they're both and, rich now. And now we're both rich. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> what year is this from then? How old were you? How old were you in the first clip, I should probably ask? And then is it the same age as the one we're about to hear? No, from? I think the first clip I was like four, which yeah. would have been like 92. Yeah. And then this one, I think I was like eight or nine. So okay. Uh, and how old yeah, is is, is how old? So. Okay. And how old is the older sister? By the way, just she's a couple years older than me. Okay. Yeah. So now we present to you, Megan and Sabrina, best friends forever. This play is called Megan and Sabrina Friends Forever. Megan is played by Carrie Grial. The Rich Lady is played by me, Bethany Grile. Sabrina is played by Katie Geringer. And the Doctor is played by Peter Geringer. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our show. Would you like to be my friend? I'd love to. Bye. Bye. 
Do that, that again. again. Say it again. I said part three at home. Okay. <laughs> you been talking with a friend but you have no friends i do now i met her on the street is she poor yes we are rich and you are only allowed to play with other rich girls do you understand that sabrina yes mother now go away <laughs> oh my kids these days they just can't obey any rules can they Speed it up. We are. <laughs> okay. Hot street on the street again. On the street again. Hi, Megan. Oh, hi, Sabrina. I wish we were sisters. Me too. Sabrina, time to come inside. Bye. Bye. professional you were about making it a theater atmosphere <laughs> but not so much about the the dialogue <laughs> no dialogue wasn't our strong point at that at that point in time what were you wearing or what were you made to wear i think i was wearing either the mom's or the older sisters one of their dresses because mm. it, it was obviously ill-fitting and uh pretty big do you all remember the first time you wore your parents' clothes for the first time? 
Yeah, all I I still do. <laughs> <laughs> we know. No. Uh, probably like from a very very young age. The first time it would fit, they would fit me, I guess. But we, I guess yeah, I know what you mean like putting them on in the closet. I'm having a, a vague memory of there being some clothes that my mom didn't wear anymore that she would keep in like a bin of some sort and yeah. sometimes like when my friends were over we would go there was just, something like, put stuff on there was something really captivating about just being in your parents room and looking through your parents closet for clothes that you might like yeah i got in such trouble every now and again just for like never like leaving it kempt yeah. <laughs> i definitely used to put on um my grandfather's old fedora yeah, it was in my dad's closet. That was fun. Because I'm trying to pretend like I was a gangster. Yeah. Nice. And then my mother had these uh, hippopotamus slippers that were super warm and comfy that had like these giant hippos on the front. And I used to wear those because they were super comfy. You were definitely wearing clothes that were too big for you, though. Yes. And that sort of added to the humor of, you know, being a, a rich, being a, sorry, a poor, a poor girl. Uh, being, oh, well, I was the rich. Girl. Sorry, being being yeah. the rich girl, being yeah. wearing oh. clothes that were too well, big for your britches. No, I'll, I'll tell you. I mean, we would kind of do one minute history lesson, you guys, right now. History sure. lesson. It. All right. So, poor people notoriously wore ill-fitting clothing because uh, they couldn't afford tailors. Yes. And then you had to buy clothing off the rack. And the deal was that there was no try it on before you buy it until Macy's department store. And then there was no, uh, all the all the clothing was like in a showcase window, and you had to just, there was no returns. So you had to buy it on site, you weren't allowed to touch it, so you just bought the bigger thing, because if you got it and you didn't fit, you couldn't return it, and it was like worthless. You get the big thing, because then if you have to run it through the wash, it'll likely yeah, shrink b- anyway. Yeah, biggest, biggest safe. It was safe, the same way, and then hand-me-downs the same way, like that too. Who's the dad? Uh, that was Carrie's dad. Wayne he Grile, was hilarious. Who actually came to the rescue yesterday because I had not, um, well, I didn't have this in my possession until about 10 p.m. last night. Okay. And then also I have to say thank you to my brother Matthew because he's the one who tracked down the clip of me and Peter singing Jingle yeah. Bells. So I wrote home really quick and Mr. Grile and Matthew were able to hook me up with the well, we, we appreciate it. Yeah. Good, yes. You got a great network. Yes. Yes, I do. A network of people who support you musically as well as uh, contribute uh, audio for uh, a radio show in a basement in Bushwick. Exactly. Well, it's, it's funny because Alan, Alan, you know, he'll say to me, he goes, you know, get guests, you know, and he'll say get guests to me in the same way that a junkie's like, get the guests. And I can hear him jonesing. He's like, how old is the audio, man? And I'm like, <laughs> uh, I think it's like five, five years old, man. And I, uh, I need the old stuff. <laughs> I need more of it. He's like, come on, come on. When they got something from childhood, childhood baby, that's what that's the good stuff. <laughs> well, I'm glad I could uh, oblige. Definitely. There's one point where he says, speed it up. Speed it right, up, yeah. yeah. Him and him in the up. dark, speed it up. Well, I mean, I think about that idea, you know, that you love like, anything that your children do, but that that's like to a point, and that, that, that humans have, have to have like a certain amount of patience and things like that, you know. Because I know, in this, in, similarly, like, you know, I personally foresee myself having children in the future, so I know I'm going to have to sit through something as awful yeah. <laughs> or worse that they're going right. to like, that they're going to think is amazing. Oh, yeah. It's one of those deals that when it's your own kids, there's so much novelty and fun to the fact that they're, like, putting their little heart into it, you right. know? But at the same time, like that, like, yeah, speed it up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you have to still keep them in line a little bit. Well, yeah, it's exactly kind of like that, too, though, because I remember with Danziger's own clips, and I would play the entire tapes for my mom, 
because that was the only person who listened to these tapes way back when, when I had that recording series and we listened to it in the car. And I can just imagine just the dread and the horror. She's hearing this right now being like, yep, dread, horror, all applicable. Um, listening to like 90 minute tapes and like having to listen to these tapes and having to sit through and be like, where's this going? <laughs> where's this going? I'm a good mom. I'm a very patient mom for listening to this drivel for the entire car ride. Yeah, I definitely remember like having long winded conversations with like my father about like Dragon Ball Z that I knew he didn't care at all about, but he would like actively try to speak with me about it because I was interested in it, you know? Yeah. And I was like, you know, Dad, I appreciate that. You know, I'm sure there were plenty of fathers all around the world that would be like, I, I don't talk about cartoons. I just don't talk with children, you know? Yeah, right. Go back to your room. We don't speak until you're an adult. <laughs> <laughs> we're out of time. You have a band camp that we could go to, uh, and anybody who's interested in buying your album could go to and listen to the music for free before they uh, even buy it. That's how Bandcamp works. Right. Yes. Good work, Ramon. <laughs> um, you can go to uh, katiegaringer.bandcamp.com yes. in order to purchase your new album. That's where you'd go with me? Yes. That's and it. Uh, do you have any shows coming up? I do, actually. On uh, Saturday, I'm going to play a set at Treehouse in Midtown oh, at 8 p.m. Uh, yeah, Treehouse Mima. Yeah. I actually was just there a couple of weeks ago. It's a very nice place. And it you is. can get, like, oysters there as well, which is pretty it's cool. It's pretty fancy. So that would be Saturday, the um, November the what? Fourth. It's November 4th. So none, none of us are. So, Damn you, calendar man. So it's, <laughs> that's Saturday, November 4th. Yes, in- at Treehouse Mima. In Which is on Forty uh, Second Street, I yeah. believe. Yeah. What else? Any anything else other than that, or just that for the time being? Um. Well, the album is also available on iTunes and nice. Spotify. Cool. Uh, it's now up on YouTube as individual tracks with the album artwork. And if people want to uh, stay in touch with you on social media, uh, they can do so on Instagram. Uh, Instagram or Facebook. Uh, any of that stuff. Great. I'm there. You're an inviting soul, and I think it'll be a good experience for those who are interested in seeing you at the Ye Old Oyster House because you are the pearl of uh, of of Midtown. <laughs> Love, dog, you. oh <laughs> <laughs> What's that emoji with like the like the nail paint? Like, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, uh, Katie Ganger, for coming through. You're welcome. This was my pleasure, and thank you for listening faithful listener you can come to our website on podomatic to listen to this episode when it comes out as well as past episodes that's lost and rewound.podomatic.com for contributions you can email us at lost and rewound at radiofreebrooklyn.org to appear on the show we want to hear what you have we want to hear what audio you may have and we have so much contributions coming up in the next few weeks. Season five is almost done, man. Yeah, man, it's the end of the season, and we uh, we up in the standings. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Playoffs, baby. We look forward to you joining us next week for another edition of Lost and Rewound. On Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm Alan. And I'm Jimmy. Have a good day. Have a booba.
you don't know uh, who Mr. Redlegs was. That's yeah. the mascot of the Cincinnati Reds. Oh, He's the guy with the gigantic mustache. Yes. Naturally, Mr. Baseball would yes. come yeah. up with a, a deep cut like that. So, of course, I would. Uh, there's also like a Mrs. Redlegs, and there's another character. Mr. Met is basically a bootleg Mr. Redlegs. If anybody out, there yeah, is a big Met. Take fan. that, Mets fan. A poser. <laughs> 